That said, we are almost literally right in the middle of our psalm song series. So sit back, sing along if you know it, enjoy this song that the worship team has prepared for you. got nothing on me. I'm only one call away. That's, I mean, that's almost straight out of 1 Corinthians 12. Maybe not the Superman part, but it could be, right? It could be. I know that was a love song by Charlie Puth, but to be, to be real, I feel like that is something God could say to us. You know, all of the superheroes, everything you turn to, to kind of bail you out of things, they got nothing on me. And I'm only one call away. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. For those of you following along, we always relate the song 
to a psalm. So we're going to be in Psalm 86 this morning. Psalm 86, if you want to follow along, it'll be up here behind me. I'll give you a little time to get there. My name is Janice. I'm so glad to be um, able to speak with you this morning. Uh, Let me explain a little bit. Our pastor is in the house, but he's taking a little bit of time to be in directed study and just really seeking God's face for a few weeks on behalf of the church on behalf of himself, and, uh, and so he is available, he is here for you, um, but uh, there'll be some different people up here for a couple of weeks as we do this summer series. So, are you ready? Psalm 86, verse 1. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant. That means, this is somebody speaking in the third person. Save me right? He's explaining, I am the servant. Save your servant who trusts in you. Save me because I trust in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. You know, as I was reading this and thinking about the fact that this is a psalm of David, this is David um, laying some things out, and, and, and because we have so much of David's life in Scripture, let's get a picture of where he is. This is not David as a young boy out taking care of sheep. This is not David as a young uh, man who is serving in Saul's palace. This is not David on the run from King Saul. This is David fully established in his kingship. This is David at the height of his glory saying, I am poor and needy, and when I am in distress, I call to you because you answer to me. What is it that keeps us from calling out to God when we are in distress? When we are feeling poor and needy and things are not going well, what keeps us from calling out to God? That's where we're going to go this morning. But, But this is one of the things I just love about David right? I love his honesty, that he will just tell us exactly what's going on. And here's why I think he is able to say this and why I think he is in this kind of distress. I have a feeling that David has exactly zero, zero contemporaries, right? He doesn't have anybody else running in his league. I don't think he has anybody to text. I don't think he has anybody to lean on in this time. By the, by the way, by the time he gets to this spot in his, in his tenure, his very best friend, the, the son of King Saul, is dead. He doesn't have him as a buddy anymore, even though that was in a strange, weird situation. I don't think anyone understands the pressure he is under. He doesn't really have anyone for advice except maybe a prophet here and there. And I'm thinking, you know, we may not be in charge of a kingdom ourselves, but have you ever felt like there's nobody to turn to? that you don't have anybody in your life that can relate to the stuff that you're going on. There is nobody that you're willing to open up to. Or to be fair, there might be nobody you should open up to about certain things, right? There's some things that we need to keep close to the vest. If you've got issues at work, I don't recommend you talk to your coworkers about that, right? If you've got issues with your spouse, you need to be super careful about where you take that stuff. Sometimes there are things that we don't have anybody we can open up to. And David knows He's poor and needy. He's the captain of his industry of the time. And, it, and if, if the Psalms are any indication 
of how he is feeling most of, he seems like he feels alone about half the time. About half the time, it's like he is in distress, feeling betrayed by family, by friends. He has several wives, but few confidants. He's leading a nation, but that means he has multiple enemies. He has power and position, military power, political power, but what he's lacking is joy. He's lacking joy. It says it right there in verse 4. Bring joy to your servant, O Lord. Bring joy to me. Where in your life are you lacking joy? Or for that matter, what has been affecting the joy that you might have in your life or that you've had at some point? You know, you might think that position and power and security, uh, resources, finances, maybe even skill. David is an amazing, uh, you know, skilled musician. He's obviously a skilled writer. How many of us have written anything that's going to be read in 2,000 years? if the world's still around in 2,000 years. Do we really think that we're leaving anything of that kind of significance? I, I doubt it. And yet he has all of these things. He is successful. He's a decorated war hero. He has all these things going on. And yet, he struggles with joy. Come on, man. What do you need? What do you need for joy? You've been anointed. Because I'm convinced that David feels alone. He feels alone. In fact, you know, uh, many of the characters in Scripture who get depressed, and if you think that we're the only society who has ever been depressed, can I just encourage you to read your Bible? Can I encourage you to read the Old Testament? And some of the most uh, amazing people that God used in history were people who felt absolutely alone. Like, like to the point of taking their own life alone. And you know what? Most of them weren't alone. They weren't really alone. They felt alone. Many of us feel alone even when we aren't really and we're struggling with all of that. I don't think it's uncommon for people who have it all, for people who are at the top of their game and, and they look like they couldn't possibly be in distress about anything, that they could be short on joy, short on joy. You know, we planted this church in 2009, and one of the things that uh, our pastor used as he uh, set out the vision for this, and it's a very poetic statement, and you can find that in Starting Point if you want to take that. That's next week. Starting Point is our membership class where you can go and answer, ask questions about who we are. You don't have to become members, but we offer that on the first Sunday of every month, which is next week during the second service. So plug for that, right? And he wrote in there that we would be a church who would be a light to the lost, the lonely, and the broken. And I think our general thought, and it's very easy to think, oh, that means we're going to take care of people who are economically deprived and socially deprived. Can I just say that that is not a social and economic uh, category? There are many people who are at the top of their game in terms of society who are lost, who are very lonely, live in broken relationships have broken psyches, have all kinds of things going on in their life that they're just struggling with. And, and it's like, what is it that brings us to these kind of things? Well, let's stay with David for a moment. In verse 14, I didn't take us all the way to verse 14, but in verse 14, we find out exactly what David's threat is. We find out exactly what's giving him distress on this particular day when he's writing this particular psalm. And he says, God, arrogant men have risen up against me. And a gang of violent men have sought my life, and, you have not, and they have not set you before them. God, I am being chased down by a bunch of heathens, 
in my kingdom, this is an insurrection of some sort. This is not like a, a foreign uh, enemy that he's going to take his, his men out and battle against. No, no. This is, somebody in his, this is somebody he has to be wary of within his own circle. This is an insurrection from within his own circle. And here's the other reality. This threat is real. He's not being overly dramatic. He's not being self-pitying. It's a real, real threat right? Because here's the reality. Sometimes when we are under attack, joy is hard to come by. When you feel like you are under attack in your relationships, at your business, in your workplace, and whatever the circumstances are, it, you, it's tough to be consumed by joy in those moments. And yet in those moments, David knows one thing. He knows one thing. And ultimately, that is he trusts God. He trusts God. That's the one thing he can rely on in the midst of this. When everything else in his life is a mess, when he is distracted by people around him who want him to fail, uh, who want him to die in his sleep, when there are people around him who want him to fail that badly, when they want him gone, he goes to God. That's when he goes to God. Now listen, this is not just a Hail Mary. Some of us respond to God like that. We don't think about God until we're in distress. And when we're in distress, we're like, God, help me. Help me now, right? And we call out to God because, you know, heaven help us if the elevator took too long or there were no good parking spaces or the gas pump just tripped triple digits. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? We reach out to God for all of these Hail Mary things. And yet, I love it when David says, I call to you all day long. All day long, I call to you. Can I take a minute just to talk about our pastor? I didn't know he was going to be in the room, but here he is, so we're going to talk about him anyway. I've been married to this man almost 39 years, and can I tell you that he, thank you, can I tell you that he talks to God all day long? You know how I know? Because he does it out loud. Right? We've talked before in our marriage class that, you know, I approach God differently and we've talked long and hard about the fact that, you know, our, our spiritual lives are, are, you know, we seek God independently and that's very important to us, but mostly it's because he distracts me so badly. Because he just talks to God out loud, he sings, he sings in elevators, he, I, I, I know so much of what I see, hear him praying in the shower, you know what I mean? I mean, he's just talking to God all day long, under his breath, the other night, he was asleep and I heard him praying out loud in his sleep. It's just, you know, he, for him, God is only one call away and it's all the time. It's not just in this moment of high distress. Oh, to live in that kind of, of space, right? I wish I was more like that. What is it that keeps us from calling on God in our distress? More importantly, what is it that keeps us working on our own solutions, you know what I mean? Well, I'm going to keep doing it this way. Why, why do I keep grinding away at the same old problems with the same old strategies and hoping for a different result? You know, we, we heard that somewhere recently and they're like, you know, when you keep doing the same old, the, the, you just try harder. And I'm like, that is my middle name. I will just try harder. I always say I'm getting a lower gear in my tractor, you know, because I'm going to dig a little deeper, right? Why am I so slow to make the one call to God? Three things that I think this morning kind of keep us from doing what David does. And so I'm not really giving you the thing to do. I'm giving you the problem and we'll give you the, you know, the whatever at the end of that, right? Number one, I think the, one of the things that keeps us from calling on God when we should is we think I can handle it. 
I can handle whatever this thing is that is a problem, right? It's, we either dismiss it, it's not really that bad, it's not that bad, or it's the same old thing, this stress never seems to leave, so I just have to learn how to cope. So I'm going to go and get some new coping mechanisms and learn to breathe differently and, and find new ways to fight the same old, I'll keep swinging the bat at the same old problem or threat. In the meantime, I can't figure out where my joy has gone. But in reality, you know, I feel pretty resourceful. You know, I don't need anybody or anything. I really don't want to talk to anybody about it. And if I can fix it, I can also take pride in the fact that I fixed it, right? And, and maybe I'll take credit for turning this miserable situation around, whatever it is. I certainly don't want to be indebted to anybody. Folks, can I tell you this is the height of arrogance, it is the height of arrogance and self-sufficiency. God says, my grace is sufficient for you in 1 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, not your talents and skills, which, by the way, I gave you those when you were born. So why are you taking credit for that? Right? I'm the one who gave you all of those self-sufficiency things that you have. I'm telling you, folks, for those of you who are highly motivated, for those of you who get called overachievers, you know who you are. Those of you who are frankly very highly skilled, pride can take us down because we are not ready to just make that call to God, that one call away that he is there. Now, on the other hand, there's another place in here which I think is even more subtle. On the other hand, there are some of us who are resourceful with other people. And we kind of hide this under the guise of, I'm doing community right? I'm having trouble with this, but I'm not going to call on God. I'm going to call on my texting group, the people that I lean on. I'm going to use them and their resources. Or maybe I love to help others and have them help me. That sounds really great. But listen to me, in certain cultures, there's an extra motive here. In certain cultures, this comes with strings attached, right? I will grant you I've been watching a little too much mafia movies lately, right? Um, the Making of the Godfather was a really good show. But it, it made me think about the economy of what's happening there. Sometimes we help other people in order to stack up favors that we'll call in some other day. Right? Well, I'm going to help you. I'm very helpful. But now you owe me something. And someday where down the line, I'll, I'll need you to do that. Now, maybe you don't run a mafia. I hope you don't. But sometimes that's just good old boy culture. Right? It's just, or quid pro quo, I'm going to do this, but, you know, very subtly, I'm going to expect something from you in the future. And we kind of think that, oh, it's like, oh, that's community, but not, sometimes it's just not trusting God. It's not just, it's just not trusting God. And we, it's just a particular type of economy that gets things done and keeps us from having to engage our creator to do that. One of the characters I've been reading about lately in uh, the book of Judges, I've been uh, running my way through, and I happen to be in Judges right now in chapter 7, and, and uh, this particular time of Israelite history has been a hard time. The people of Israel are under the uh, oppression of the Midianites, and they're having to hide in caves and do all this stuff, and, and God shows up to a man named Gideon, and he says, listen, um, you're going to go out and conquer the Midianites. That's what you're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to help you, and you're going to do that. And uh, this is what he says, Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, no, 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 that's the, oh, I took a one. No, here it is. Judges 6, 14, you don't have that one yet. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
The Lord answered, I will be with you. He said, first of all, you have strengthened your hand that came from me, and the real power that you have is in the assignment, the fact that I'm the one giving you the assignment and the presence, the assignment and the presence, I'm going to be with you to do that. So Gideon finally agrees, and, and you know, we have the fleece thing and all of that, and he agrees, and he puts a call out, 32,000 armed guys show up. 32,000 fighting men. Now, I don't know how many the, the Midianites had, but that sounds pretty solid, doesn't it? 32,000 people. And I love it because God whittles that army down to 300. He makes Gideon send away everybody except 300 men. 1% of the, of the force that Gideon thinks he's going to have, that's what God is going to use. And this is what God says about it in Judges 7-2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I love that. You have too many men. You have too many resources. When has God ever looked at you and said, you have too many resources? Because here's the problem. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel will boast against me and say, my own strength has saved me. Sometimes God will whittle us down to 1% so that he is the one who gets glory in the fact that it was his assignment and his presence is the one that's going to bring the victory, not the amount of resources that we happen to have. So what I love about David is David almost always recognizes his limits in his Psalms with that he needed God in spite of his arsenal of skill and position and influences. He recognizes his limits. And I'm telling you, when we are willing to face our own limits in our life, that's when we can call on God. That he's only one call away when we recognize our own limits. No matter how successful you feel, no matter how much you have under your belt, no matter what you've accomplished, that's when we can make that call. Number two, the second thing that I think affects our willingness to call on God is this, we're afraid of over-asking. Now, now this one is mine, right? So I'm just gonna speak it to me and if, you're, if you wanna listen in, you can, right? I am afraid of over-asking God for stuff. I don't like it, right? And, and sometimes I feel like, you know, have you ever asked for somebody for a favor when you haven't really built the relationship with them? Or you've been made to do this? When I was a child, my mother and the neighbor lady took cake decorating classes together. You know, Wilton cake decorating classes. I don't know, this is like 1970s. And so they accumulated all of these different pans and stuff. And, uh, and, and, they, and I never remember the neighbor lady asking us for anything because she bought the whole you know, shoot and match. My mother bought a few things. And then she would send me as a child to the neighbor to borrow a pan. Man, I hated that. I hated that so bad because I could tell the neighbor lady did not want to share the pan with us. She would give it to me, but she would be a little grumpy with me. Probably not the way she was with my mother on the phone, but I'm the one taking the heat for that. You know what I mean? And I was just old enough to be embarrassed by the fact that I was asking for something that somebody did not want to give me. Maybe that's why I have this fear of over-asking. I don't really know. You can analyze that later. Right? It, just, it just gave me a real cringe factor. Here's another time when I've had a cringe factor about this. When our kids were in high school, um, we attended a, an out-of-town football game. And so when you go to the out-of-town game, you get the cheap seats on the other side of the, of the stadium and, you know, and you're kind of crowded together and, you know, you don't even know where to sit. And so I, well, Joe and I had sat down and then we watched the students come in and there were about three rows of them. And you could kind of tell they're all positioning to be in the middle. Nobody wants to be on the edge, 
right? They're all trying to be, you know, and I, I don't even know these kids, but I'm picking out who's the popular kid and who isn't, right? And, and we're killing time and they're trying to build enthusiasm and all of that. And this one skinny kid stands up and he gets in front of them and he turns around to everybody and he goes, because we're, we're, you know, we're fighting. We're not fighting. We're sporting. We're, we're playing football for Central. That's what we're doing. And, and so he goes, give me a C. And he had his buddy positioned up there. And his buddy goes, C. And a few people chimed in. And he goes, give me an E. And now a few more people chime in. And he had support. Right? He had, he's asking for a C, and he's got a couple people who's giving him a C. And then I looked at a couple of those other students, and I leaned over to Joe, and I said, I bet if that kid went over there and said, give me a C, he wouldn't have gotten a C. He wouldn't have had the influence to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was having a little bit of a cringe factor there because I was like, you can tell when somebody is asking for something and when they have overstepped or, or almost overstepped. And this kid almost did. He almost did not get the support he needed. And, and he got what he needed and they all started hollering for that. See, I think this is the very same thing that happens when we want someone in ministry time to pray over us that's holier than us, right? We're not supposed to judge anybody, but tell me this isn't true. Don't you want a righteous man whose prayers availeth much to pray for you, right? You want the holiest person in the room to pray over you because maybe their influence will get you the affirmative answer that you want, right? We're trying to use somebody else's influence to get that. See, and I feel like that's a concern or at least to get the affirmative answer that we want because we're afraid of over asking. We're afraid of asking God for something he won't give us because we haven't built that relationship with him. And then sometimes, at least in my life, I'm afraid to ask God for something because I'm afraid I've already used up all those blessings. Like there's, a little, like there's little bank accounts of blessings in heaven that we're draining. And I've already drained mine and I don't want to ask anymore because there's nothing left up there and I shouldn't do that, right? I'm just talking to me, right? Or, or maybe he's tired of me asking for the same old stuff. Maybe he's tired of repeating things. And I'm like, you know, one of the problems of doing a series on Psalms every summer for the last 13 years is, in the Psalms, the issues are fairly repetitive. They really are, right? There's nothing particularly novel about assassination attempts in the Old Testament. There really isn't it. You know, you get to be king, and there's only a few ways to get there. The old king died or got whacked, right? And then if you are king, the next thing you do is get rid of all his family members so they don't get you. And then you might start knocking off your own family members to make sure they don't push you out of the way. And then you have to be careful about the people in the kitchen poisoning you so you have cupbearers, right? I mean, it's, it's just, there's nothing novel about that. That's just the way history has worked. There's nothing novel about a friend stabbing you in the back all through the Psalms, something we can identify with. There's nothing novel about the temptation to trust in your own resources, whether it's horses and chariots and armies, or whether it's your technology and your bank account and your connections today. There's nothing novel about confessing our sins and asking God to forgive us and restore us. But listen, just because those issues are, those issues are common doesn't mean that God doesn't want to hear them. He never gets tired of listening to us ask for the same thing. He does not grow weary of our conversation and our, our um, requests for relief, help, or forgiveness. And one of the things I love about David is his confidence that, that God will answer. Psalm 38, 15. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. He is so confident of God that he will wait for the answer. He invites us to be persistent 
in prayer. Now listen, persistence isn't currency. Persistence isn't what's going to get you what it is. Because, you know, we even have the Apostle Paul ask for a thorn to be removed from his flesh three times and it didn't go away. No is a viable answer. But persistence and and a frequency was not the problem. Or maybe what hangs you up and what you're afraid of over asking with God is that you've heard no too many times. Maybe that's the problem. And you're like, I, I'm tired of getting no. I don't want to ask that and get, and get no again. I feel rejected by God, and so I've given up calling on it. Romans 8, 25 and 26 says this. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Even when we don't know how to phrase it, even when I don't know how to ask or I feel embarrassed to ask, I can invite the Holy Spirit to intercede on my behalf. I can invite the Holy Spirit to make the one call to God on my behalf in words that only he can speak. Number three, and this one I think is a big one. I think this is something that's keeping a whole lot of people away from calling on God, and probably people who aren't even in the room. When God's people keep letting me down. When God's people keep letting me down, then suddenly I have lost interest in reaching out to God. You know, one of my very favorite desserts uh, is cheesecake, second only to homemade ice cream, right? Cheesecake, one of my favorite desserts. I'm a pretty decent cook, but I have never mastered a good cheesecake, but I am pretty good at taste testing. And so everywhere we go, I will often order up a cheesecake just to see what it is. And I have a real, you know, I don't need 14 flavors and whipped cream and all the stuff. I just want good, solid cheesecake. It's surprising which restaurants really have the best cheesecake. Hit me up later and I'll tell you. But anyway, they're they're really good. But you know what? When I order up a cheesecake and it comes out and it's just not, uh, you know, it's more pudding than it is anything. And it's just kind of got a cheesecakey flavor. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get, I don't get angry about it. I don't send it back. I don't fuss about it and, and say, oh, you know, what I know is the people in the back are doing the best they can with the ingredients they have or the best place that they've ordered from, which is usually the case, right? I mean, they're doing the best they can. I just probably won't get it from that spot again, but that's all right. I never give up on cheesecake. I never quit ordering it. I never go, well, that is the last time I'm going to try that. Why do we treat God like that? We get burned one time and we hit the road. We're like, no, no, no. God did not do it for me today. I keep looking for great cheesecake. I think you should keep looking for God. Why do we attribute all bad behavior from sinful people who are trying to follow God to God himself? You know, I was thinking as we were looking at, I, this is new, this is extra. I was thinking as we were looking at the, at the pictures from the mountains of the women's retreat, and we talk about finding God and his creation and all that, and how many people have said, you know, I meet God so well on creation, and, and I did too. You know, we just came back from the beach, and there's nothing about, nothing like the waves on a shore that just hit me with, with who God is. His creation speaks to me. Well, newsflash, all of us are God's creation. Why can't we find God in each other at the same time? All of that isn't perfect either. And I think it's a little strange, but you know, why do we do that? When we distance ourselves from God and the church, 
over the actions, words, and behavior of his people. It is a lame excuse. I'm going to say that a couple more times, okay? When we distance ourselves from God and the church over the actions, words, and behavior of his people, it is a lame excuse. And can I just say very quickly, this past few days, you've probably seen a whole lot of behavior and tone and words from God's people that bother you. Not God's problem, not your problem, okay? When we distance ourselves from God and the church over the actions, words, or behavior of his people, it's a lame excuse. Let's quit pretending that his creation is the creator. Our bad behavior is a poor reflection on God only because it's a poor reflection of God. When we're acting badly, we aren't really reflecting God. And I'm thinking, God, why did you even set it up this way? If I had been the architect of the gospel, which thank goodness I am not, this is the last way I would have set it up. I would have set it up like this. The minute you surrendered to Jesus, zap, you went to heaven. And the only evangelists on earth would be like an army of angels, unaware, who ran around and told people about Jesus. And then when Christian people surrendered to him, before we could do anything stupid, we'd get zapped to heaven. Wouldn't that have been a better system? No. God didn't set it up that way. He set it up so that our sinful selves, in the best efforts that we make, are the messengers. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But when we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, he is not going to take that excuse. He's not going to, we're not going to be able to say, well, you know what, I followed you better, except those people said some really nasty things on the internet, and I kind of don't like them anymore, and I don't want to go to church anymore. Okay. I don't think that's going to wash. It's a poor, poor excuse. Here's the thing. Jesus is one call away. He's one call away from us. And just like today where we're afraid to talk to people on the phone, we just want to text them. We have a new way of communicating, right? Because calling someone on the phone takes initiative. It takes nerve. It takes humility. It takes risk. What if they don't want to talk to you? What if they just let it ring? What if they ghost you? All those things we do when we don't want to respond and we don't want to be forced to reject somebody in person. Listen, God is not playing hide and seek with us. He's not playing hide and seek. You know, I think sometimes we've made it that way. It's like we're just these passive people and Jesus is just relentlessly pursuing us. I think it's supposed to be the other way around. We're supposed to be pursuing God, right? Did you ever play hide and seek as a kid? And, uh, and you know, you had the best spot and then it was ruined because some crybaby kid or a smart aleck, either one, decided to quit the game because he didn't want to be it anymore. He didn't want to find you. He just want, we, man, we had a little neighborhood gang of kids. There was one guy, man, every time. If it was his turn to be searching, he just left. He just went home. And I'm like, what the world? That's the way we treat God sometimes. I don't feel like looking for you. I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to quit doing that, right? Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. See, God isn't hiding and trying to make things difficult for us. He's not doing that. He longs to answer. We're the ones who ghost. We're the ones who hide. We're the ones who pretend we don't see him or hear him. We are the ones who create distance. 
God is not creating distance. We are the ones. He has been in the mission of creating spectacles to get our attention. Whether it's a burning bush, whether it's fire on a mountain, whether it's a, a cloud, whether it is miracles of healing. He has, he's come up with all kinds of spectacles to get our attention, not to mention creation. Right? He answers us. He longs to answer us. And here are four ways that he wants to answer you. Number one, through his word. That's why we at the Vineyard and every other great church around here depends on God's word. Right? This is where we hear from him. This is what has been preserved for generations for us to lean on. This is what God wants to say to us, whether it's written, whether it's in your mind and remembered. Number two, his people. He wants to answer you through his people. We don't just get to go sit at the beach by ourselves. Through his people, the church, the preachers, the teachers, and the community of faith, God speaks through those people. So that's why when somebody prays over you up here, it is through their voices that God is speaking through to you. And through his Holy Spirit. Number three, through his Holy Spirit. When we pray and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit teaches us when we're listening to God, when we pray and we wait for him, God is answering us in those ways. And then finally, number four, through happenings. Through the circumstances around you. How many times have you wanted to push in a certain direction and you'll hear people say, well, that door just slammed shut. Sometimes God has to shut a few doors in our face to direct us where he wants us to go, right? Those are just the happenings that are around us. There are times when we're supposed to push through, but there are other times when he's just making it clear this is not where you're supposed to be. One of the best things God says over and over to his people that isn't even an answer to his question when they're seeking, he says, here I am. Dude, that's enough. Here I am. Chill out. He is here. And when you actually seek him with all of your heart, he will not hide. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that some of us have given up on seeking you and and you're speaking to us today. There's been maybe somebody uh, offended us or you didn't come through when we really needed you to. And to be honest, we're just feeling, we're feeling sad about that. And it's created distance and we're the ones who've created that. But God, I pray right now that you would be working in our hearts. Draw us to you one more time, God. Help us to know that it's just one more call. (laughs) One more call to you because you are going to be there. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you come to our feet, these people up here are our prayer team, our ministry time. If you're joining us for the very first time, that's what they're doing. And we're going to sing one more song. And during this song, you can stand there and sing. You can stand there and listen. Or you can come forward and invite someone up here to pray over you. You don't have to tell them anything. You come stand in front of them, and I I promise you, they'll take off. They'll pray over you, whatever the Holy Spirit says to them. But here, here are three things that God put in my heart this morning for people that I think might need prayer. See if this is you. You've been avoiding God on some issue that you didn't want to bring to him for one reason or another. You, you felt, maybe you felt ashamed to ask. Maybe it felt like you were over asking. Maybe you don't think you deserve it. But you know that there's something that you've been avoiding God on. And, and you just need to lay it out there in front of him and be willing to receive his answer and to hear him on it. Maybe you're somebody this morning who honestly are feeling really salty toward other believers today. 
Either believers that you go to church with, believers in the community, people that you used to, I used to respect them and now I don't respect them because I saw them say something on Facebook that I don't like anymore. Maybe you're feeling salty about that and you need to just come and, and clean that up a little bit. Because just because they might be a poor reflection on God right now doesn't mean that's a, the reflection of God. That just isn't who he is. And you need some prayer to just kind of help you with that attitude that you're feeling. And finally, maybe you just need the courage to ask God for a longing of your heart. And you shall have that courage. And you, need to, and you need to do that this morning. If that is you, if any of those things, or if there's something else in your heart, but those three things specifically, I felt like God wanted me to bring to your attention this morning. During this, during this last song, come forward and let somebody pray over you.